Welcome to another episode of the LeafCast. Takes by Leaf, for Leaf. Yo, I'm happy to be back on the air. Happy to be back to having you, the audience, to rock with me. You could be doing anything, but you're listening to me, so big ups to you. It's an amazing time, and you probably have heard me say this previously, but it really is. It's an amazing time in the sense that it takes an Australian to point out to the general public what I knew, what you knew, what a lot of people already knew. This dude And when I mean this dude, I mean the president doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Before I go down that path, I want to go back and talk a little bit. Before the Me Too movement, there was a glamorization of pimping. Now, you still see that term in the popular lexicon now, but it really took off, I would say, in like mid to late 90s and continued on into the 2000s in terms of pimping, pimping being something of thought of as, um, you know, some type of... um give you a certain type of pedigree, you know, pimping this, pimping that. And and, and quite frankly, if you want to go back and, you know, take away what, what the term stands for now, the basis of pimping is, and it's been going on since the beginning of time, is for a man to convince a woman to sell her ass for money. That's part of it. But the best part is that the pimp, the man, derives money from that. And quite frankly, it's really not even a gender-specific role. Pimp can be a man, pimp can be a woman. It doesn't matter. But it's one person saying to another person, go out here and sell your ass, and then give me back typically two-thirds of your money. The reason why, and again, there's many reasons why pimping became popular in pop culture. But I think, or at least the way that I used to think about it, is if you get past the brutality, if you get past the fact that a lot of these women that we're talking about, and there's men that have been pimped out as well, so let's make, again, broaden this discussion out and not focus on one gender or another. If you look at the brutality, if you look about the fact that the majority of the people who are being pimped out are typically under the influence of substance abuse, um, may have been, you know, a combination of, um, you know, molested in their youth. There's a lot of just mentally fucked up people out here. So in some respects, the bar can be low in terms of someone else convincing them to do something that logically doesn't make a lot of sense or doesn't appear to be in their best interest. But the point is, 
or at least the way that I used to think about it is, man, that person must have some real mental acumen to convince another person to sell one's ass for money. And not only to sell one's ass for money, FYI, or by the way, give me a cut. Incredible, just in terms of the mental prowess one must have to convince a person to do it and then continue to do it. So I thought that way for a while. But I think, you know, my opinion, or I don't think I know my opinion has changed. I want to say post. 2015 2016 with the Trump campaign and now the Trump presidency because what the president has been able to do and again it's not the majority but quite frankly you don't need the majority this is a person who lost the popular vote in 2016 so it's not about the majority let's make that clear this is about Hey, I've identified a target base of hoes, mentally weak motherfuckers. And if I continue to say the same shit over and over and over again, I'll browbeat these motherfuckers into accepting it. Now, If you're a Trump supporter, you know what? You're just an average motherfucker. So, hey, you know, fuck it. And what I mean by that is I'll cut you some slack. You're just an average motherfucker. So what do you know? So there's two real core parts of the Trump support. There's the full-throated Trumper, MAGA supporter, racist person male or female. Then there is the complicit Trump reporter, meaning, hey, or supporter, I mean, hey, you know, I'm a Republican because I'm happy with the fucking economic tax breaks that I'm going to get. And so I'll just hold my nose over the rest of the shit. And quite frankly, the rest of the shit that he's doing, as negative as not be, it's really not geared towards this population of Republicans. So in other words, there's rich white Republicans or just better, you know what, take race out of it. Because I know of plenty of well-off black folk that are Republican. So there's wealthy Republicans, then there's dumb, uneducated Republicans, and then there's obviously some sprinkled in between, and then there's a huge intersection, right? So that's kind of the Republican Party, if you just looked at it, you know, as an overall kind of base. So the thought is, and he did this again throughout the campaign, which was, I'm just going to say some shit. I'm going to continue to say it. And by the by definition, because I've continued to say it, I'm going to speak it into existence. Right. I'm a successful businessman. He's really, that's really not true. Right? 
you don't have to file you, if you're if you're forced to file for bankruptcy multiple times that doesn't you know kind of lend itself to some type of moniker that you are some type of economic titan right he's a guy and there's nothing wrong with it he's a guy like many guys or certain select few fortunate guys who had inherited money from their mother or father or from their family. He just happens to be one of the more audacious motherfuckers in terms of, hey, I'm just going to say some shit. So let's put a pin on that for a second and then talk a little bit about what an Australian did that apparently no one in modern media could do. Jonathan Swain. Jonathan Swain is a reporter from Axios, and he scored an interview with Donald Trump. During this interview, on countless times, I mean, there's so many clips from it, I, you know, I would just recommend that you watch the interview itself. I don't want to spend the full podcast going through the contents of the interview, but basically it lays bare the fact that this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. His defense, when you ask him any questions about anything that he's talking about, is to either double down by repeating the same claim again or saying something else that is bizarre to distract you from what he has said. So let me give you an example. If you walked up to me and you said, hey, what color is your car? And I own a black car and we're standing outside next to my black car. And I tell you the car is green. And your response is, well, wait a minute. How is it green? My response is the car is, is green. It's just green. I'm not going to actually apply reason, logic, common sense, or my actual visual capabilities. I'm just going to double down, triple down, quadruple down, and say the same thing over and over and over again. And if you came back after that, and you saw me out standing by my black car again, and you asked me what color the car was, and I said it's green again, and you wanted to question me about how could it be green, when logic, common sense, whatever you want to call it, vision, would tell you that it is black, and my response or my retort to you is, hey, look over there, your house is on fire. That's not really responding to the issue at hand which is the color of the car. So he's been able to get away with this technique. Um, I saw it play. I mean, it, it was one of them. It's been one of the more maddening pieces about the Trump presidency. And this is again, he just literally came in and exploited something that was already there. When Roger Ailes started Fox, he created an echo chamber for Republicans to enter into 
and never really have to question or undergo any questioning whatsoever. So you can go on Fox and it's everyone, if you watch any of the shows, it's everyone basically agreeing with each other. And every now and then they bring in a strong man, you know, Juan Williams, to try to say logic and they shout him down. But the point of Fox News, again, is to basically do an attaboy, pat you on the back for every Republican out there. Trump came in to the campaign and saw this and just ran with it. He just fucking ran with it. And we got into office. You have to say this. Well, he is not a good businessman. He is a good showman for a certain population or a certain demographic. He's a great showman. So when the news started to question him, whether it be the crowd size or his other bullshit. And the thing about the president is he throws so many at you. It, you have to apply a certain level of mental acumen to keep track of all the lies. So if you ran into me and I told you seven lies in less than five minutes, how much time would you be able to have to, number one, recall all seven of the lies, and number two, be able to question, follow up on any of the lies? So, if you ever watch, typically, if you see interviews with Trump, it's done on Fox News, it's Fox and Friends, he calls into Fox and Friends, and hey, you know, everything is great, you know, while meanwhile, you know, shit's not great, but hey, everything is great, you know, it's going to go away, you know, so don't worry about it, it's just an echo chamber, so there's like, you know, Chris Wallace, you know, did an interview with him a couple weeks ago. And, you know, and it's like, oh, he took a, da, 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 a tough interview. And if you watch the Chris Wallace interview, I think Chris Wallace at best, you know, followed up on like two different items. And I believe post Chris Wallace, I don't think it came out during the Chris Wallace, maybe, you know, just in terms of timing. But what I still find to be unbelievable is that you've got this guy. And when he does interviews, because they're all on Fox, all on these conservative channels and networks, no one asked him about the bounties on American soldiers that have been placed by fucking Putin. No one asked him about Russia at all. They never asked anything about it. So it's been over a month. So since those reports came out, this motherfucker has said nothing that he plans to do about the issue at all. He's got nothing. He's nothing. He's not even going to address it. It's going to act like it didn't even happen. So now why are we talking about Jonathan Swain? Jonathan Swain, and you know, again, the one secret power that Jonathan Swain apparently had was the ability to ask basic follow-up questions. And remember, you've got to have mental acumen. First of all, you've got a number one interject Donald Trump because what he will do is filibuster. 
So they just start talking about something. They talk about moving on to another topic, coming back to this topic, and you're just letting him go. And by the time he's done with that, you know, hey, it's time to move on to another question. I've seen him employ, employ that technique on multiple occasions. But Mr. Swain, or Swan, has what was able to do was just simply say, hey, wait a minute, what do you mean the fucking disease is going away? What do you mean that things are going well? What do you mean that you've done more, more for black people than any other president? So, one of the things that I want to focus on, because I've heard it, and I've heard it enough, but now I'm kind of fucking annoyed with it. Which is the claim by the president that he's done more for black folk than anybody else in the history of the world. More for black folk. The blackest president there is. Okay. I'm not here and I don't need to tell you all the fucking shitty things that this dude has done. But I do want to talk about, he's got two key pillars. Well, he used to have three key pillars that he would you know, use to support his claim. And he's done more than any other president to, you know, to support black folk. The first point of that part of that claim is jobs. I've created more jobs than any other president for black folk. If the jobs that are being created are Postmates, um, Uber, uh, Lyft, and shit like that, those are jobs. And I'm not here to, you know, hate on anybody who does those jobs, especially anybody of color, specifically black folk. But what I am saying is, to me, it's kind of a false narrative if you are championing, hey, how many jobs, you know, I've created all these jobs. And what these jobs really are, are jobs that, number one, do not have traditional benefits. Where there be health care benefits, retirement benefits, etc. I mean, these are independent contractors. And number two, a lot of these jobs aren't jobs that have a great deal of longevity. And you see that bear out now in the pandemic. Meaning, if you were a waiter, a waitress, a bartender, if you were, you know, again, a Lyft driver, Uber driver, a lot of that money that you previously saw coming in has in some degrees or in all degrees dried up. Now, clearly there's an uptick in Postmates and all that stuff, but there's also an uptake in the death rate as it relates to black people, people of color, who in my mind are the main people who are working these jobs. So let's be real. So the first piece was job creation. The second piece was he let some black folk out of jail. And I'm like, hey, You've let some black folk out of jail. But 
And it's not even a but, it's just the reality. Okay, and then what? Meaning, you bring these people back, you bring these black folk back from jail. And it's not it's not as though they've been, you know, hidden away, you know, kind of sitting on ice in some type of hyper, you know, some type of chamber somewhere. Hyperbolic chamber. It's not that. These people have been in fucking prison. Where are the programs? Where is the economic assistance? Because all I hear about is, hey, well, I freed some niggas. But I want to get to the most interesting part, and you've probably heard him say it before, and like everything else, again, if I tell you seven lies, it's hard for you to remember all seven. So he's talked about opportunity zones. He's done more for black folk with these opportunity zones. So let's talk a little bit about opportunity zones. Opportunity zones were created under the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Acts, which was signed into law in the uh, end of 2017. The law creates these zones designed to bring development to largely low-income areas that otherwise would have had trouble attracting it. It's been long, it's long been advocated uh, by Sean Parker, the dude who fucking was one of the founders of Facebook and Napster. The zones were enthusiastically uh, backed by Tim Scott, surprise, surprise, and Cory Booker. This legislation was folded into the tax cut bill. So let's make sure we understand what an opportunity zone is. An opportunity zone is a tax break. It's a tax break for rich folk to invest in low-income areas. That's what the program is. A New York Times investigation of the program last November found the Trump administration's signature plan to lift cities and multi-billion dollar tax break that is supposed, quote-unquote, to help low-income areas has fueled a wave of development financed by and built for the wealthiest Americans. The article spotlighted luxury developments backed by big city, uh, dele- uh, big celebrity developers. That's who's been using this program. This program doesn't require that the people who are doing the development be diverse, doesn't require that you hire black folk. It simply says, hey, come in to these areas and build high-rise apartments. And we're going to give you a tax break. That's what the program does. So the next time you hear him say that, when you think opportunity zone, think about opportunity for whom? So this is just more about the, the, the opportunity zones. Opportunity and zone incentives are not structured to encourage resident or community engagement. Mission-oriented projects struggle to compete for attention with higher return projects, which these opportunity zones have largely subsidized. So again, they're not giving out affordable loans for black people to grow their communities. They're giving out money 
to rich white people or to rich motherfuckers in general to come in and build shit. But that is the reason why he is the champion of black folk. So it's like him and Frederick Douglass like in a tie neck to neck for who has done more for black folk. So I wanted to go back to an item that we've talked about before, and this just shows you how fast the news cycle goes when there's so much negative news and content. But I want to go back to George Floyd. His brother was killed. Clearly, I don't think anybody would debate the fact that he was killed as a byproduct or because of police brutality. Police officer Lily put his knee on their brother's neck. As a result of that, there was a lot of hand-wringing. There was a lot of slogans. And I believe some black people may have gotten some donations. But legislation to address police brutality, where the fuck did that go? As you may recall, the last time we heard of said legislation my man Tim Scott was running point because he was the dude who was going to be able to address it because he has experienced bias by the police. Tim Scott's bill didn't outlaw the chokehold, didn't really do much of shit. Said, hey, stop doing bad stuff to black folk and we'll do some reports. You know, we're going to have some more reports about this shit. But nothing has been done. So, keep that in mind for a second. And when I say keep that in mind, think about it. Think about all the rhetoric you have heard around Black Lives Matter. All the rhetoric you have heard about, hey, you know, this shit's not cool. We'll get rid of some monuments. But think about the fact that the one tangible thing that could have been done at the federal level, nothing has been done. Nothing. Then think about the fact, over the last seven days, you can see the stories. There's a story out in Colorado where they pulled literally a, literally like three adult black women, three children, ages of like 11 to 6, handcuffed them, put them on the concrete because they thought the station wagon that they were driving in a pandemic was stolen. Put the cuffs on a 7-year-old black girl. There's video of her crying on the street. There's stories of, in the paper, Two black women take their kid by the Lincoln Memorial to play. Secret Service rolls up. Salt rifles, etc. on these black folk. So outside of, hey, white people acknowledging that there's racism. Outside of some slogans. Outside of some white people that you probably haven't heard of or heard from in years, what in fuck's name has changed?
Yo, as we move towards the end of the show, um, I wish I had some uplifting news to share with you. But let's be real. This shit is not going to get better. What do I mean by that? 2020 is a wrap. The the president doesn't want to say that. The federal government doesn't want to say that. But I am telling you, this year is a wrap. Jobless rates are going to increase. The spread of the virus is going to increase. Nothing is going to get better. Why do I say that? Because nothing has been done to solve for any of the issues. Not the health issues, not the job issues, nothing. And when you ask the president, you ask the federal government, it's like, let me throw you some distractions. TikTok. Yo, I don't even know what the fuck TikTok is, yo. Meaning, I've never been on the fucking platform. I don't give a shit about it. But I know damn near 160,000 people are dead. At the very least. I know that. So, as we end the show, I want to end it with this and something for you to think about. Because here's where we're going to end up. I'm telling you this now. So you can at least prepare yourself for it. The most important thing to remember when you think about this election cycle is that the president of the United States of America is an unindicted co-conspirator. That is a true statement. That's not spin. That's not fake news. That is the truth. If this dude loses this election, he will go to jail without a pardon. Michael Cohen, when he already went to jail. Michael Cohen was sentenced, went to jail. Donald Trump is named as an unindicted co-conspirator for the same crime that Michael Cohen went to jail for in connection with that crime. That's a factual statement. So why the fuck would this dude willingly leave office if he were to lose? As much as people think that, hey, and there, look, there's two ways to look at everything. Meaning, hey, he's down in all the polls, he's getting his ass kicked, you know, ha, 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 this is great news, it's uplifting news. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, we're three months from November, and if you know, a loss can cause you to go to bread, go to prison. I'm not talking about jail. I'm talking about federal fucking prison. 
You'll do any and everything to keep your ass both literally and figuratively out of that predicament. So how do we go about doing that shit? We start fucking with the post office. If we know that we're in a pandemic, if we know that, hey, by November in fucking flu season, it's probably not going to be a good look to go outside. What's the best way to decrease the voter turnout? Let's fuck with the post office and get away from mail-in ballots. Because what he said, and he said this, he's tell, he's not even like hiding this shit. It's very, very evident. He has said, number one, the post office is fucked up. He has said, number two, it's going to create delays. This is a Trump administration. The dude who runs the post office is a Trump dude. Do you think that dude is going to make sure the mail is delivered on time? You already see the slowing down of the mail now. Imagine a scenario. You don't even imagine it. I'm telling you this will happen when the mail will be slowed in Broward County in Florida where black people predominantly live. The The mail will be slowed in Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan, where black people predominantly live. The mail will be slowed in Cleveland, in areas of Cleveland, in areas of Columbus, Ohio, where black people predominantly live. The mail will be slowed. And if the mail is not slowed, then collection of said mail will become mysteriously fucked up or dragged out. So let me leave you with this. Trump on November election. You'll never know who the winner is, but the winner is going to be me. That's the pimp game, ladies and gentlemen. Yo, I want you to stay safe, stay situated, stay calm, and um, most of all, um, try to stay positive. Peace.